Welcome back to a Modern Man Podcast. It's your host, J.D. Farrell. And today we got a jam-packed podcast for you. I'm so excited for you to listen to this one. We are joined by licensed clinical social worker Alyssa Ashenfarb. She comes and shares her insights to celebrate Mental Health Awareness Month. You know it's May, and you know we celebrate mental health on this podcast. So she gives you a little insight about what a lot of Americans are going through right now in terms of their mental health and kind of what you should be aware about because that's what mental health is. Mental health awareness is about, right? Yeah. And on the back half, then we got Brendan Easter. And get to know that name, all right? Brendan Easter. Brendan Easter, he's going to be coming on every few weeks over the summer to talk about crypto. Yeah, I know you know the world of crypto right now. Bitcoin, Dogecoin, you know, those those names are blowing up. So Brendan's here. He's going to give you what you actually should be paying attention to, what you should be investing in if you really want to be making money on this market and kind of the future of the market. Yeah, we don't want to give you too many details on him. Just just enjoy him as he becomes a regular contributor to a Modern Man podcast and gives you updates on the crypto world. I'm going to let you know, again, we are presented to you by the Modern Podcast Network and the Modern.fm. We have a few few podcasts going for you right now. We got Fargo Watch Party every Friday with myself and Stephen Merriweather. Then we have a Modern Woman podcast kicking out. We have great episodes since that podcast debuted. It's just been exploding. Catch Brianna Donnell on a Modern Woman podcast every Monday. She releases an episode at 6 p.m. And you know where to catch me every Wednesday. This is a Modern Man podcast with J.D. Farrell. I'm so happy to be joined for a second time by licensed clinical social worker, Alyssa Ashenfarb. How are you doing today? It's second I'm time on. Are you well. a little more comfortable? I am actually. I'm still a little nervous, but I'm feeling better than last time. Oh, that's good. That's good. We're, yeah. we're here to talk about Mental Health Awareness Month in May. Yeah. All right. And I want to start by asking you, uh, what are some of the major issues you think that Americans are dealing with on the daily daily basis? We know a lot of people deal with depression, anxiety, but kind of where is this, where's this stemmed from? What is the root of the problems that a lot of them are dealing with? Yeah, um, it's a big question. So I think it comes from a lot of different places. Um, of course, there's the systemic stuff, which I think always needs to be addressed, um, like poverty or income inequality. And then there's, and racism, of course, is always a really big one. Um, and then there's things like social media, um, which I think when people just scroll through and start to compare themselves to other people can be really tough. And then I also think um, work stress, especially in New York City with things like grind culture and um, really pushing for just more than people can handle. Um, most of what I get for my personal clients are systemic struggles and then also anxiety, depression, and a lot of eating disorders, especially recently now that people are coming out of quarantine, um, which I think is fueled by all the things that I mentioned. And then I know last time I talked a lot about interpersonal stuff and how that impacts people throughout their development and then in the later years. So I think, I think all of these things are really caused by all of these things. It's hard to differentiate between them. 
Okay. And I want to dive in that a little bit. What are the eating disorders due to quarantine? Or was that binge eating, overeating? So I'm seeing it manifested in so many different ways. So I think when people have been isolated for a long time, especially people who have struggled with eating disorders in the past, they're isolated, they're quarantined. Um, I'm seeing people getting more restrictive and thinking more about food and really processing, like, how can I work off all the things that I ate and getting really anxious about um, just like fixating on food all the time. And then I'm also seeing binge eating because they're just home and they're binge eating. And it's again, all I can think about. Um, I recently learned about something called orthorexia, which is really just a fixation on food. Don't think it's in the DSM yet, um, but I found it a interesting diagnosis. And then another thing that I think is really important now that the world is opening up is people are starting to think about like, oh, I haven't seen anybody in a year. Like, do I look different? Should I be exercising more? Are people going to expect something different from me? I think um, there was a point where people were talking about the quarantine 15. Um, So I think people are just getting really anxious about that. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people either, you either went really up or went down in quarantine. It's hard yeah. to like stay at that same when you're just home for, you know, a year and a half now. Right. There's that routine disruption, yeah. um, which is so big for people with eating disorders. That rigidity, I think, is a big part of the control that comes with, or the need, the desire for control that comes with eating disorders. Okay. And can you dive into maybe some of the systematic issues that a lot of your clients are going through right now? Yes. Um, so the biggest one is job loss, of course, because the economy really crashed. I have a lot of people, not a lot, a few people who worked on Broadway, um, Uh. who lost their jobs, of course. Um, it looks like that's coming back soon, but it's really been disruptive for them. Um, I think a lot of the medical things, um, for my clients of color who don't trust the medical system because of their historical traumas. Um, they wind up isolating and not going in to see the doctor, and then they wind up getting sicker and sicker. Um, a lot of them don't want to get vaccinated because of historical issues. Um, there's just a really big lack of trust in the system's ability to take care of its people, and we see that top-down stuff. So people are really struggling with when you can't trust the people that are supposed to take care of you, you can't really trust anybody, yeah. including yourself. Yeah, and. That's why I feel like it's hard. The CDD, CDC was trying to be very overprotective and they were, you know, six, seven months behind and what other scientists were saying. And so a lot of people were like, we're supposed to be trusting them, but they're kind of delaying in information. And it led to the mistrust because they were saying one thing, other government officials saying one thing. And yeah, yeah we just haven't had a central a, message. It was a mess for a while. I remember in the beginning when people were saying, don't wear masks, you're taking yeah. them from the doctors. And then it was like, you must wear masks. And now it's like, wear two masks. I think um, there's an approach where we kind of have to be humble about this. We don't know anything about this virus. Um, So whatever, it's a mess. Are you seeing that more or less vaccine hesitancy or more clients getting it compared to those that aren't? Most most of my clients are getting it um, and are really excited about it. It's such an emotional thing I'm seeing that people are feeling really like the world is changing. I am changing. I'm re-entering things. It's really heartbreaking to see how anxious people are getting as they get the vaccine, they get excited about it. And then afterward, 
there's this period of anxiety, like, oh my God, now within the next two weeks, I'm going to have to start seeing people. And then it's like a, it's almost like a residual anxiety. Oh, wow. I had the exact opposite feeling. I don't know if you got yours, oh, but yeah. as soon as I'm like, it's time, like I'm ready to start the world. It's been a hard 13 months, but I made it. I got the vaccine. Like life is here. Like, yeah. Totally. I was ready to go. Um, I was so sick of quarantining, but I know for a lot of my clients, especially the ones that struggle with um, eating disorders or social anxiety, um, that it's just been really, really tough for them to reconcile with seeing people for the first time in a long time. Okay. And especially this has been what, 14 months going on, but normal mm-hmm. problems. If, if someone's, you know, feeling sad, feeling down, having anxiety, having these different issues, uh, picking, how long would you consider these problems, a persistent problem becomes a, before it becomes an issue and they should seek help for it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good question. I know mental health is so, I'm sorry if you can hear my dog barking in the back. Oh, uh, no. um, mental health is so ambiguous and so like cloudy, like kind of this big monster that we don't really understand. So I think I'm going to say three months only because that's what the DSM says before you qualify for a diagnosis of something called adjustment disorder, which is really just like difficulty adjusting to a situation. Um, they say you should be feeling something for three months. But for me, when I look at people struggling and I'm trying to do a full clinical assessment, I think of um, less about duration and more about intensity and impairment of functioning. So I'm thinking about are people able to go to work still? Are they still able to socialize? Are they doing all the things that are necessary for hygiene, like showering and brushing their teeth? Um, are they able to complete their work duties? And yeah, I'm thinking more about like, how big are these feelings? Are they sleeping at night? I think that's a really big thing. Are they sleeping too much? Um, how big are these things and how much are they impacting them? Yeah, that's awesome. I, I love the way you... Uh, quantify that and and you you didn't go too in depth on it but you touched on it's a big uh problem that we suffer from depression and anxiety because of social media but what Mm -hmm. role does it specifically like go more in depth what role does it play on our mental health yeah um it's it's a toughie um i feel (laughs) i feel like i'm being evasive with all these questions but i'm gonna again say it depends um I think, which just speaks to like how complex humans are. So it really depends. Like if you're following things that make you upset and you don't even realize they're making you upset. Like I know there's some clients that like will really binge on celebrity watching and on um, these things that just like make them compare their bodies and their lives to these people who are just not the norm. Yeah. Um, And that winds up making them really upset. But if you do, if you follow things that, I'm going to back up a little bit. So I think the biggest thing about social media is that it, we start to get really rigid and we start to get really focused on one train of thought. So for example, if we're being really broad, liberals will follow all liberal things. Republicans will follow all Republican things. And then Democrats will follow all Democrat things. And then there's no expansion of the mind. There's just rigidity and consistency. And I think once we follow a hole down somewhere specific, um, it can really just take over your brain and walk you into a place that's not so healthy. Um, So I think that is the biggest thing for me with social media is just the track and the hole 
the tunnel vision that we can wind up getting. Yeah. So if you're following, that being said, if you're on social media and you're following all different types of things and all different types of accounts, like, um, I don't know, I follow somebody called the holistic psychologist, and I think she's a brilliant psychologist who focuses on trauma work and your inner child and all that type of thing but then i also follow like a ton of food accounts and like puppies and those are all (laughs) things that make me feel good so i think um, but i've also done like a lot of curating on my accounts to find things that make me feel good so i don't know it depends how you use it i guess but is that not too much serotonin just puppies all day like sometimes you need to go back down to equilibrium you know is there too much serotonin (laughs) if your brain is processing it well then take it Okay. All right. right. And to counter that, what about going outside? Because I I feel like going outside plays a huge effect on your mental health. But is there any statistical difference that going outside really does improve your mental health or eating outside versus eating indoors? You know, I tried to do some research on this and the research is a little wonky. um, But it does say, I mean, in terms of statistics, but it does say that 100% going outside makes you feel better. Um, the research is just wonky on like reasons why. Or what consists, uh, like what activity outside or something. Yeah, it's so um, interesting to look at, but they're saying like a lot of nature stuff is really helpful to the point where like city planners are designing cities with more trees in them. So more people come to move to their yeah. places, to their towns. Um, but going outside is so helpful. And the other thing, I think that's the thing with social media is like, if you're in a tunnel, you're in a tunnel. The thing about going outside is that you can kind of step out of that dark space that is your, or for me, my dark New York City apartment and go outside <laughs> and see the sun and expand my brain and just like introduce new things to my everyday life, which I think is helpful. Uh, I get the new because oh, I, I hate myself sometimes just see staring at my phone for like 30 minutes and not moving and just being so unproductive and Mm -hmm. it happens like twice a day it's addictive and Mm -hmm. I think um when it's addictive and you're seeing things that are constantly like making you feel less than yeah it's just a mess and it it's there was research a while ago that was showing that it was like actually like a drug um it was like you don't even realize you're going down the black hole and then all of a sudden it's 45 minutes later which is like a little generous I th- I'd say for most people it's like two hours later and then like how did I get here how did, where did this time go oh. but we're, we're all trying to improve we we're, we have to find new techniques to put our phone down mm-hmm. it's just it's hard going out somewhere without your phone and I wish I could leave it but it's from maps to you know if I want to google something I see cool or take a picture it's just you mm-hmm. usually have to have your phone on you but totally well, we put it down and then we pick it up two seconds later and don't even realize that we pick it up. Um, Just to fill it I in think, our hand. I know. It's like a comfort thing almost. Um, I think, so what I was doing for a while is I had a reminder in my phone, like every couple hours that says, put the phone down. So if I'm holding it in that moment, I'll put it down. Oh. Um, and then there are also apps for that that'll like limit your amount of time on Instagram and Facebook. But I think even the fact that there are apps shows like how really addictive it is um it's not it's not great but again you can use it for good or you can um follow it down the tunnel so you just have you have to be really intentional about it yeah 
Yeah, that's my, I'm trying to use it for good and to put stuff on platforms, but it's like the more I'm on there to like post stuff, the more I have to be on there. And like, I get trapped Uh for another five minutes and I'm like, yeah. I know it's hard. It's really tough. I'm with you. All right. Okay. And we're going to end it on for leaving for those who haven't received help, a little skittish and maybe say they can't afford it. Is there anything you suggest people to do at home to address their own mental illness? And I know there's so many low cost places in every major city that they should definitely reach out, but what do you suggest they do on their own time? Yes. Um, I love this question because I do think that people struggle with the mental health scaries or like um, actually even finding a therapist is really hard for people with the resources. So for people without the resources, it's impossible. Um, so I think the first thing I always recommend is if you feel safe or comfortable, talk to people around you, see what they've noticed in you, see if they've noticed any shifts. Um, and then also ask them how they deal with their struggles, because literally everybody has struggled with mental health at some point. Everybody's been sad. So you can ask them how they deal with their sadness. Um, and then I try to figure out what exactly is making you sad. So is it a long-term issue? Is it something that you were struggling with in development or like is work stress really, really just taking over entirely? Or um, did you just go through a breakup and you're having a hard time coping with it? Um, And then I'd say one of the things I'm really, I think can be really helpful is journaling. So if over time you're journaling and you can kind of pay attention to the thoughts inside of your journal. So you start to notice how negative your thought patterns are or how like directed towards all the things that are making you upset in your life and how you kind of ignore the things that are making you happy. Um, So paying attention to those patterns. And then on top of that, gratitude journaling, I think is always really helpful. We always forget to praise ourselves. I'm like, I need to do that more. Appreciate the good things. Yeah, celebrate yourself. Yeah, start to reintroduce like all the things like this, when you're sad, the things that made you happy don't necessarily go away. It's just that you're more focused on the things that make you sad. Um, of course, it's more complex than that, but I do think that there's ways to redirect that we don't, we kind of shoo away for being fluffy, but are actually really helpful. Well, uh, similar to that, my learning behavior professor, she was like, you know, write down two things every day for 30 days that you're grateful for, and you'll realize that you're grateful mm-hmm. for a lot more. And mm-hmm. In doing that, I realized I wasn't grateful for a lot. And that was my decision to move to New York. I was like, yeah, ah. I'm not happy living here. Like, I don't find any joy. And I'm like, yeah, so, yeah. It makes you make a change. It makes you really, th- it makes you think really hard about what you're grateful for. Like, you have to use new neural pathways in your brain to think about the things you're grateful for. And if you're really struggling, it makes you reflect on the choices you make. Exactly. Um, I think being, trying to figure out what you're grateful for is so helpful. Well, thank you for joining me again, Alyssa. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jibby. Can't wait to talk to you next time. Yeah, me too. It's been good chatting. Today, we're joined by Brendan Easter. We're talking about cryptocurrency. Would you say you're an expert on cryptocurrency? Not by any stretch. I wouldn't go that far. Um, I started... About last year, around this time, about pandemic hit, what, last March, and then kind of for me, that was, um, kind of started just seeing things more, like, uh, on Twitter and just different things, and saw, you know, I'd heard about Bitcoin in the past, and I'd always kind of liked the idea, but never really dove into it, and then I just 
really went head first into research, uh, watching different YouTubers, following them daily, watching hours and hours and hours of content and researching just different things about it and really it just started sticking with me like I love the idea behind uh, Bitcoin at its inception. Um, it was uh, created by Satoshi Nakamoto which is a person that nobody knows. Um, nobody really knows the true identity of this person. There's been speculation out there like of who this could be um, but uh, you know he wrote what they call the Bitcoin white paper um, and this is kind of really what it just explained uh, you know Bitcoin as a peer-to-peer -peer cash or basically cash list of cryptocurrency um, you know and that's kind of you know just where I dove in and you know watched all the Bitcoin documentaries that have been out there and just uh, watched Bitcoin versus gold debates you know anything like that um, but I have been in it for a year now um, I would say that I am becoming more and more uh, familiarized and learning and you know it is you know an investment strategies things different different things throughout the space using the different blockchains and using the different technologies behind it so uh but yeah not an expert by any stretch <laughs> well he will be our expert for the modern but it just clicked for it wasn't that hard to get into it just kind of stuck with you do you think for a lot of people it's going to be pretty going to be easy to click i really i think so um you know i think especially for like our generation like i mean i'm i'm about to be 33 next month so like the yeah, you're millennial, millennial, you know, that millennial generation, and then even the younger crowd is, you know, the TikTok scene right now in crypto is blowing up, and it seems okay. to be, um, a lot of it to me is a lot of, you know, coins that I wouldn't necessarily call investments. Um, I would actually more or less call those gambling, <laughs> if you will, uh, the meme coins, culture, the shibs, the doge coin, these things, um, you know, I really like tech behind this uh the the space itself like the larger picture yeah. um you know not just this year uh, this year has been great this is what we would call a bull run yeah. um and most of the experts that i would watch or that i would uh, follow you know a lot of what i see is anywhere between three hundred thousand per bitcoin yeah. uh to a hundred thousand per bitcoin at the top of this market that's where a lot of people think the top is going to come from that's where they think it'll be and then that's when you know, they think what, what we would call a bear market would uh, happen. Um, now there is another, there are more and more people because of all the institutional buying, um, think people like Tesla, MicroStrategy, um, Mass Mutual, the insurance company, there have been multiple, multiple companies putting Bitcoin on their treasury reserve balance sheet, meaning that they're trading their dollars in for another asset, um, and that asset is Bitcoin. Um, so there's a school of thought out there thinking that maybe that, you know, the adoption is coming quicker and this bull run might go on longer, you know, than the, than the six to nine months that I think we still have to go. Um, but if you follow historical charts on the Bitcoin cycle, um, so every four years, basically, there's what's called a halving event. And this is where Bitcoin's um, mining rewards. So if you're mining cryptocurrency, basically what that is, is it's, Bitcoin's a proof of work uh, blockchain, meaning that you have to... There's a bunch of computers racing to solve a mathematical problem. Um, so once they do, once that, uh, once that, whatever computer wins, wherever that computer is at, the mining facility or wherever, once they get rewarded in Bitcoin. Um, right now, I think it's like 6.5. Um, uh, in May, we just had that having event last May. So okay. last year, this time, we had that having event. So that supply was cut in half. So it was 12, and now it's down to 6.5. 
person. Some somewhere in there. I'm not sure the exact number of how much they're getting, but it's around that. So 12 to 6. So it got cut in half, making Bitcoin inherently deflationary. Yeah. Um, kind of uh, the opposite of what you could see with what's happened, uh, you know, over the last few years with all of the uh, stimulus packages, money printing, everything that's going on, and not just in the United States, but everywhere. You know, because of this unfortunate situation we were put in as a global community. Um, but there's two schools of thought when it comes to economics. There's Keynesian economics, and there's um, what I would call, uh, what you would call um, Austrian. Um, and the Austrian economics is this libertarian viewpoint. This is where kind of Bitcoin was born. And this is kind of what got me interested into it because I was into the gold aspect, having hard money assets, something that's, you know, that doesn't just inflate, yeah. you know, where they can't just print it. You know, okay. it's not. I'm, I'm going to stop you a yeah. little bit. We're good. Because now well, I'm going to get into that. No, I'm going to get into the question of what, because you're going into a little bit of what is crypto. Oh, I don't yeah. want you to. Now I'm actually going to ask that question. Like, what is cryptocurrency? You were talking a lot about Bitcoin, mm -hmm. and you can continue on Bitcoin, but divulge on what is crypto and how is Bitcoin, you know, right. associated with. Crypto so currency. cryptocurrency, like just by definition, is a, a decentralized digital money. Um, you know, I'm getting this off of like Forbes.com, uh, their advisor. They had an article, you know, what is cryptocurrency. So I figured, you know, this is like the most basic kind of you know, introduction that I could give, um, you know, they could give it to me a little bit better, a little bit more, you know, less wordy probably. Uh, but that is what it is. It's a decentralized digital money based on blockchain technology. So Bitcoin being the first one ever created that has done anything. Um, and that was what you would call first mover advantage. Mm -hmm. So it's a medium of exchange, peer to peer. Um, so I can send you Bitcoin, you send me Bitcoin, um, you know, uh, as well as what I feel now, though, with the cryptocurrency itself is more or less getting away from that term and actually calling them crypto assets. Okay. And the reason for that is that these are, these are, they're not really, most of the coins out there, the tokens, the currency, the cryptocurrencies out there are actually um, assets that are used, uh, you know, as an investment vehicle, per se, or also used on the certain blockchain technology that they're built upon. They have utility. They get you, you know, if you have Binance Coin, uh, which is one of the top centralized exchanges where you can buy cryptocurrencies. Uh, if you have that token, that then you get cheaper fees on their website just from holding their token. So you know, you pay less on your trading fees. Um, well, then you know they introduced the Binance Smart Chain. So now that is actually their currency on the Binance Smart Chain. It's how you pay for your transactions, just like Ethereum, which is the second mover cryptocurrency. Basically, when you do anything on the Ethereum network. You have to have Ethereum mm -hmm. to pay for those uh, transactions that you're performing, okay. whether they would be buying an NFT artwork or uh, buying um, a different token on, you know, uh, that where you're using a decentralized exchange where you're trading your Ethereum for another token that's built on the Ethereum network, which is called an ERC20 token. You have to pay what's called a gas fee. Um, and that's kind of uh, where it's kind of growing. So with Bitcoin, I would say it's actually becoming more of a, that digital coin that store of value. Yeah. Um, it's still a medium exchange. It's way easier to send a million dollars in Bitcoin across the ocean than it is to send a, a billion dollars of gold across the ocean. You know, it's, uh, you know, that... You but why is that to so, the average consumer? Well, so for the aspect of thinking that you're literally sending cryptic code across the internet, yeah. um, just almost as if like you were sending a Venmo payment to your friend for pizza, you know? And you know the technology is building on top of that. It's called a Lightning Network, where 
it's getting faster and cheaper to send these transactions. And that's kind of where I see this space growing, um, whereas these crypto assets are becoming more and more utilized where people might not even realize they're using them in the future. Um, blockchain is going to be integrated. So expand more than all crypto assets and NFT artwork yes, and stuff like definitely. that part of the crypto world. So on that part of the crypto world, we're looking at more, basically you have, um, say, a company that is centralized, focused on selling artwork. OpenSea is like the first kind of mover on the Ethereum network, the largest one, where most people will go to sell NFT artwork. And so OpenSea has their own uh, ecosystem built around that, the website, you know, will you use the OpenSea token to make these purchases of these artworks or use Ethereum to make these purchases of these artworks? Um, and so that's kind of where you can see it still being used as currency um, because you're buying something and then you're getting retaining possession of something else, just like you would do, you know, if you were to go to an art auction and, you know, bid a thousand dollars on an artwork and win that artwork and then, you know, you take that home and that's kind of where the NFT space, but this is verifiable, provable, can never be replicated. Yeah. Um, and that kind of goes into like, what is the blockchain technology? So like cryptocurrency and blockchain, they are hand in hand. Okay. Um, and so like blockchain itself is basically an open distributed ledger that records transactions and code. Um, so in practice, it's a little like a checkbook, like it, you know, you distribute, uh, it's distributed across computers and the world. Uh, so all the internet, like anytime there's a transaction created on Ethereum or Bitcoin or anything like that, or any any blockchain, there's what's called the, the ledger. Um, and each blockchain has their own website. Etherscan is one for Ethereum. So if you go to Etherscan, you can see this transaction through this wallet to this wallet, no matter what you did. So say you bought, you know, you bought a token from Binance Exchange, and then you transferred that into what is called your private wallet, where you're holding it's no longer on the exchange, meaning you own the crypto. Yeah. Um, and it's in your personal wallet that you're the only one who can access that wallet. So say you did that, you can actually see that transfer happen on the ledger, okay. on the internet. You can view that. At any point, anyone can view. Anyone that. can view that okay. if they know your wallet address and they're looking for it. That type of thing. So there's, um, so that's kind of how the blockchain is a distributed ledger, where basically every time a block is created, it is attached to the last block that was created, and it goes on infinitely. And who creates these blockchains? Those are also so the blockchains themselves. So like a blockchain. So like the very first, no, 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 like the Bitcoin blockchain was created. Um, Touch Nakamoto created that with a, with other Bitcoin developers. Yeah. Uh, what a short term would be devs, so call them devs, but but developers of, of code software yeah. like the so anything that's ever been you know like games are coded and you know there's code you JavaScript and they, yeah. they, well a lot of these blockchains create their own coding languages and and then people develop apps on top of these blockchains and different. You know, they basically can, you can have different uh, I guess that's what that's been, the apps on top of the blockchain. Mm -hmm. Is it to secure them or to store them or? So the, the security that comes from the blockchain, so like Bitcoin and Ethereum, Bitcoin is the largest decentralized network, meaning that there's not a centralized entity that the government, not, not any government can go knock on the door and say, hey, you can't be doing this. Yeah. Like, like if you look at, they, a bank is centralized. Mm -hmm. They, you know, they have ser centralized servers where all of our information is stored mm -hmm. on the bank. You yeah. know what I mean? That all the transactions, their ledger is is not visible to everyone, which is understandably, you know, you don't want anyone knowing like where your money's going. 
you know, nobody wants, you know, the privacy aspect, which we could get into here a little bit later too, but, you know, the centralization of it is Bitcoin is now a decentralized network, meaning that there's not one central entity running these servers. Yeah. The servers are spread across the entire world. And that's what Ethereum has done as well, is their, their nodes, their servers are, are spread across the world. And so there's not really one, you can't shut down the Ethereum network. It's open source code and it lives forever okay. on the internet. And that's kind of how Bitcoin, and they, it was like a first mover type advantage thing. It just so happened to pick up and more and more people started mining Bitcoin and then more and more, and then and then there became big mining firms and companies now competing, yeah. and those are spread out across the world. And so it's created a decentralized form of money where nobody can take your money. Mm -hmm. If you if, if you own it, if it's off the exchange and it's in a personal hardware wallet that you you know basically there's like there's ledgers, there's SafePal, there's um, Treasure. Those are the top three I would say like hardware wallets where it's not even connected to the internet at all. Like it's not a browser wallet. Okay. It's completely off, you know, yeah. off the internet, it's air-gapped, all these things, you know. So if you have that and you remember your 12-word phrase, mm -hmm. you can memorize your 12-word phrase, or you can keep it in a safety deposit box, or you can keep it in a safe at your house, or, you know, somewhere safe. You keep, but if you have those 12 words, you yeah. always have access to your money. Nobody can take that from you unless they get your 12 words, mm -hmm. or, you know, you get scammed somehow, like a phishing attack maybe, and they don't ever send your private keys to anybody that like, a lot of people do get scammed in the space it's a new space so someone will say hey you know that like an ad will pop up on a youtube video or something where it's like send you know if you send this much bitcoin to me i'll send you this much back and it's elon musk talking yeah. like that's never going to happen if it sounds too good to be true it's too good to be true even in the crypto world yeah. um you know what i mean but the blockchain itself is like that's what everything's being built on top of and so and, you know, I encourage people to do, you know, all, you know, as much research as they can into, like, what really is the blockchain going to do, like, for the supply chain? Like, there's there's companies out there, like, it's called VeChain, and it is a supply chain company, and they're first mover in that aspect. Um, you know, the decentralized finance world, uh, Maker, Compound, and Aave, those are the top three, you know, Ethereum-based decentralized platforms where you can loan out money, borrow against that, go buy more things, and you don't have to have a bank doing that. You know, if you have, you know, $50,000 in Bitcoin or, you know, you get to that point in your life where, you know, you've saved up all this money, you don't want to sell your Bitcoin, you can lend that Bitcoin out, borrow against it in U.S. money, yeah. and then go buy a car if that's how much, you know, if that's what you want to do with it, or, or put a down payment on a house, and then you pay that back with whenever you want. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's a, you have an interest rate, but it's a, a variable interest rate, or it could be a fixed interest rate, on just by using a decentralized smart contract platform. And see, this is where Bitcoin and Ethereum kind of differentiate themselves, is when you get to that smart contract uh, aspect. Yeah. Uh, Vitalik Buterin was, a, like a, I think he was 17 or 18 year old kid whenever he created Ethereum and he wanted, he went to the Bitcoin people and wanted to put smart contract on Bitcoin. Well, they didn't want to do that. They wanted Bitcoin, they thought the Bitcoin code was perfect the way it is, we want it to be this way. And, and a lot of people still believe that. And I, I, I'm a, a wholehearted believer in like Bitcoin will be the store value, it will be the new gold. Um, and that where but Ethereum wants to be the internet, the decentralized internet. Yeah. You know, they want to be running different applications and protocols and all these different things. And they're moving from what's called proof of work to proof of stake. So proof of work is basically why we were talking about the computers mining Bitcoin yeah. and creating the Bitcoin. That's how Ethereum's been. They have miners. 
they do the same thing. They run the software and they compete to mine Ethereum. Well, they're moving to what's called proof of stake. So proof of, uh, proof of stake is basically reduces the amount of power that's necessary to run the network. So there's been a lot of talk out here about you know, Bitcoin uses a lot of energy and, you know, this and that. And that's neither here nor there. I don't want to get too much into that, too much what Elon was tweeting about, just because that was so fresh and recent that it's, to me, 75% of all renewables, you know, or 75% of the Bitcoin network is running off of renewable energy already. Yeah. A lot of people see that being 99% in the next five years and also giving power back to the grid. So, you know, there's a lot of this, what they call FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt that you'll see in the news, like, or Elon, somebody rich who says something on Twitter, and then the market panics, and people start dumping. There's a lot of the, you know, new investors that bought, you know, panic sold, yeah. you know what I mean, and that kind of thing. Whereas if you look at it as a more of a long-term play here, we're looking at a life-changing technology yeah. being built, right? Well, the proof-of-stake concept, though, does use less power um, and then it also basically allows you to what you call stake your assets. So you're basically locking these assets up forever. So Ethereum, so they needed this many, they needed a certain number of what you would call a validator node. So this is basically a computer network running uh, their network. And you had to basically give Ethereum, stake it onto a contract, and 32 is that amount. And then you can be your own validator. Well, you get returns on every transaction that your computer uh, basically pings for the Ethereum network. So you actually make passive income off of that 32 Ethereum. Uh, it will probably average to be out about 5% a year. Um, you know, and 32 right. Ethereum right now at, you know, a little under $4,000, you know, that's that's a pretty good return on investment mm -hmm. just for staking and maintaining that, that node on that network. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? And so it kind of is... That, that's where Ethereum is moving because Ethereum right now, what they call gas prices, that what I was saying, you have to spend money on, you have to use Ethereum when you're using their network. Yeah. Well, it's costing hundreds of dollars, which is leaving a lot of people out. Like it left me out last summer when the DeFi craze happened. Mm -hmm. And you know now you can see they're trying to move to this proof of stake so that they can basically eliminate these high gas fees and more and more people it will become the, they want it to become the decentralized internet where everybody where everyone can access these things. Okay, all right. Now, you've talked a lot about Ethereum and Bitcoin. Now, who are the major players right now in the crypto world? Like yeah. Major companies. Major companies. So, I would say right now we're looking, like you can, like a lot of like research I do, coinmarketcap.com or coingecko.com, this is gonna give you the list of all the cryptocurrencies, their market caps, their value in the market, how much are they worth over the t entire crypto market. You know, and at the time of this recording right now, we are looking at a total market cap in the crypto industry at two trillion one hundred forty-two billion four hundred seventy-six million. So we're 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 in the two point one trillion range right now of you know total market cap. So that's every cryptocurrency that is recorded on CoinGecko's website, as well as um, you know Bitcoin and Bitcoin and Ethereum being your top two. Yeah. Um, and so when I look at, when I'm trying to evaluate a company, the big players, like you say, you want to look at their market cap, how much are they worth yeah. and what are they doing, you know? So Bitcoin, first mover, digital gold, it's, it's been here for 12 years and it just appreciates 200% basically on average every year. It just keeps growing, you know? So if you look at an historical Bitcoin chart from, you know, when they started charting it to now, it just literally is up and to the right, you know? So that's kind of like where it, it 
but it does have a market cap of eight hundred billion. We were at a trillion for a while. We were, we were staying at a trillion for a while where it was basically half of the whole market cap was Bitcoin. And then once you look down, and then you go down to the next one, which is Ethereum, which Ethereum's only been around for five years. It just had, or it's almost, it'll be six years here pretty soon. But um, Bitcoin, you know, had a whole six years advantage over Ethereum, oh, yeah. you know, because it was the first, you know, first one. But the market cap for that is almost $400 billion. So about half of Bitcoin's market cap. So the number two is a half was half as worth as what Bitcoin is worth. Yeah. So another thing for investments, like if I was thinking about it, well, I know, like, so I'm looking at Ethereum, it's number two. Right now it's going to cost you know, $3,439 for one whole Ethereum. But what's great about crypto is it goes down to the million. These are fractionals that yeah. you can buy. You don't have to buy a whole one. You know, you don't have to buy a whole one. A lot of people like to buy a whole one, call you a whole coiner. You get your own first whole Bitcoin, which I don't even have yet. I can't wait to have my first whole Bitcoin. Oh, yeah, that's good. You know, I'd be like, yeah. oh, I'm, I'm a whole coiner now. I got, I got one whole Bitcoin. And that's just my, that, that, that to me is like my retirement. My that's savings. Out. That is just like, that's going to sit there for the children, you know, and hopefully I get more as, as time goes on and if, if, if this is what we all believe it will be. Um, but so I start looking at market caps. And so I look down the list. Binance Coin is number three. We talked about Binance. Yeah. CZ the is the biggest a, centralized big, one, right? Yeah, the biggest centralized exchange. Um, and they, so like, think about Coinbase just went public. Coinbase never had a token. Okay. They never had a crypto. Yeah. They just they were, were just an exchange. exchange. They're just yeah, an exchange. Right. Well, they finally went public, so now you can buy shares of their company, okay. just on a traditional finance standpoint. You know, you can uh, go, and it's actually called Coin. That's their ticker symbol. Right. Um, so you can actually go buy now shares of that. Well, in my opinion, like, I could go buy shares of that, or I could buy the cryptocurrency of Binance coin, yeah. which is being utilized on the Binance smart chain, like we were talking about as the paying for the fees, but at a fraction of the cost of what Ethereum costs. So Binance smart chain is literally a clone mm -hmm. of Ethereum, <laughs> and it is obviously probably centralized, right? Because yeah. it is it is kind of, you know, Binance is centralized. So the Binance smart chain, they say it's decentralized, but how decentralized really is it? That's a debate for another day, but at, but it's cheaper, and yeah. so it's actually allowing more and more people to get into you know these other smaller cap coins. And when I say smaller cap, I mean smaller market cap coins. Yeah. Um, you know what we would want to say call the gems of the space and find those things. So right now, a lot of the narratives are floating around the crypto spheres is decentralized finance. Last summer it really started, so they're they're saying this summer is going to be DeFi 2.0, um, and then NFT. We were talking a little bit about that earlier. So NFTs, that's another big narrative for the space right now. Um, as well as other smart contract layer one, um, which is what you would call that. So uh, Ethereum is a layer one blockchain. Okay. Well, there's things built now called layer two solutions, basically saying they're, they're, you get the same, you get the security of the Ethereum blockchain, but the layer two basically allows for faster transactions. And this is like Polygon, um, OX, uh, XDAI. These are these are layer two solutions for Ethereum until it becomes a proof of stake. Because this is they're updating a code, they're trying to move away. So there's layer two plays as well. So one of the ones that's been booming lately is Polygon. It used to be called Matic. Um, the ticker symbol is still Matic, but they changed their uh, company name to Polygon. But they uh, were one of the biggest gainers, um, you know, of last year. Um, you know, if you, I, I myself put 
you know, some money into that one and that as it, it's explosive. We'll go into the biggest games in a second. Yeah. You haven't mentioned the one, like, Ethereum. We're talking about Ethereum, but what about Dogecoin? That's the one everyone's oh, going crazy yeah. about right now. So Dogecoin's a meme coin, yeah. and it's fun to gamble on. Okay. Um, Elon tweets about it, it goes up. Uh, you know, a lot of bigger players got into it. One of the things I have problems so with, so with Bitcoin, so Doge is basically a Bitcoin fork. So it's a proof of work, just like Bitcoin, just like Ethereum is now, it's proof of work. Well, there's barely anybody, there's been no really development to change the system. Like the two main people who created it don't even have Doge anymore. Um, They're probably killing themselves for that, right? But you know what I mean? Uh, It was created as a joke. It was a meme coin. Some girl posted a picture of dog and she wanted to say doggy, but she spelt it D-O-G-E. And then it became a huge meme and then somebody created a coin. and then people started buying this coin. So it's, to me, it's fun to gamble on. Um, you know, it's it's one of those, like, I kicked myself for not buying it back when I got in this a year ago. Right. I saw it, but... It, I, saw, me, I saw the little image. Yeah, for me, my journey was like, my, my journey really was has been like investing more or less as opposed to like trying to quit change trades. Yeah. You know, it's like more like finding the good technology, finding good fundamentals, good tokenomics. Yeah. When I'm looking at these these players in the game. It's like, I want somebody that's going to be here for the long haul. Okay. Uh, now, Doge has been here for a while, and it's proving to be, you know, fun. And it does make <laughs> a lot of people money. Um, so I would say, as a long-term investment, I would say no. I, I, there's there's one person, so once again, with the distributed ledger yeah. technology, there's one wallet that holds 28% of the supply, okay. which is so billions and billions yeah, of dollars. That's a lot of control. Yeah, so that's a lot of centralized control over that 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 one person just decided like okay I'm cashing out now. Yeah. Everyone else that's buying at these levels is is done for. Yeah, they're fine. Um, you know now we can all now like I said with Elon and like whatever and like who knows you know who really knows in this world of the internet like we've seen like crazy things like this like you know people tweet things and markets get changed you know and it's just it's one of those things but I think you know with the that and like the, the sh- there's another one called Shiv or Shiba Shiba Coin. Um, Shiv, I think, is the ticker, and like you know, that was you know basically another it was a Doge fork, but then they have quadrillion supply. Yeah. The big one has twenty one million max supply. You know what I mean? So it's like you have to get in and actually do some research. Now you can jump in and get lucky and pump. You know, one of these meme coins could just pump. You know, and you could you know you could make a lot of money. I'm not saying you could. Uh, Now for me, like my risk aversion, like I might throw, you know. A hundred bucks into something that's really super cheap, like a like a safe moon or a sheep, you know, because oh, what's thirty bucks to me right now? Whatever, I'll throw in thirty, and if it if it goes to you know if it ever does pump, then okay, I made some money off of it, but I didn't risk, you know, yeah. my whole portfolio. You're being smart on. about your right, right, and that's what I think a lot of people get caught up in the in the meme culture, the TikTok culture, and then they and they see these people are pumping this coin to jump in, and they get wrecked. Yeah. Um, you know, and then they get they, they put their life savings. They they threw a hundred thousand dollars that they had in life savings, didn't tell their wife, and now it's you know worth nothing or half of that or not, or, yeah. or they've lost all their money. You know? <laughs> and that's the thing you don't want to do. You don't want to rush into something of that nature. So some of the bigger like narratives though, like I was, so like aside from a meme coin gamble, um, I would say you know NFTs and decentralized finance are the two main. Um, and when it comes to NFTs for me, yeah, like I, you know, buying the artwork and like, you know, doing those types of things, yes, uh, buying actual NFTs, which means non fungible tokens. So 
that means that it's like this is the one and only of it, or you know this is one of so many. So yeah. think of it like a if like a Magic the Card Game or something, right? So they have these types of card games like yeah. on the blockchain, and you know you get special characters, you get special cards, they're rarities, like you know like the old school Pokemon and the old school Magic, you yeah. know, things like that. But now they're digital, and now they're on the blockchain, and now they're verifiable even more, like mm -hmm. graded, like they don't degrade over time. They will look the same. They will always look good and cool and. You know, so a lot of collectors, you know, I mean, uh, Kevin, uh, Kevin Smith from Clerks, yeah. um, he's really getting into the NFT side. Of okay. All right. Blame me. Blame someone. We're just going to, I'm just mad that you're missing the back half of this. Yes. Brendan got cut off. He went for like another hour. Okay. Giving you details on how you should not be investing in Dogecoin right now. I think I might bring him on next week just to really give you the insights because you need to know what he was saying. Oh, I'm so disappointed. I don't know what happened with the recording, but yeah, half an hour in, it just decided to shut off. So please, we will be giving you the insights on crypto. Keep coming to this podcast for your insights on crypto and what to do. All right. Stay away from Dogecoin. Stay away from Dogecoin. That's all I got to tell you. Okay. I'm sorry that you missed out on what Brendan had to tell you, but he will be back. He will be back. This is his passion and he will be giving you the insights on the market. I'm so mad at myself. I'm, I'm mad. I'm mad. I don't know what happened. I can't tell you what happened, okay? I really can't tell you what happened. I told him during the whole recording. I have a fear that it just wasn't recording. I went and checked. I'm like, okay, it's recording. But then when I went to edit it and put it out there, it didn't all record. But we just we just got to learn for next time. That that that's that's why we have this. It's a learning curve. Uh but Brendan Easter will be back. I want to thank Alyssa. Thank you, Alyssa, for coming on. Uh, anytime she comes on, I, I love her insight. She just, she really expands my mind and helps me think in a whole different direction. But that's it for this episode of A Modern Man Podcast. Remember, we're presented to you by the Modern Podcast Network and the Modern.fm. Check out A Modern Woman Podcast airing every Monday wherever you get your podcasts and then Fargo watch party every Friday. I'll see you next Wednesday. This is a modern man podcast with JD Farrell. Thank you for listening. Like subscribe, tell your friends. That's it for this week. Mm -hmm.